when one comes to a new church, and I should say this is a, a congregation that's new to me because although I've been in the presbytery, lived in the presbytery since 2010, I've never had occasion to come to Stevenson High before. So this is uh, an interesting new experience for me, and I hope that it might be a worshipful experience for all of us. Uh, one of the things I should say to you that Billy made a mistake. He said I was a retired minister, but ministers never get to retire. <laughs> Last year, I was just telling somebody at the door, out of the 52 Sundays in 2021, I was in a pulpit somewhere 28 times. So that shows you how much I'm, I'm getting used. And I'm currently the interim moderator at our Drossen Park. Our call to worship comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Come, let us worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name.
Let us pray. Lord our God, as you called the Israelites to rededicate themselves after crossing the desert, and the wayward son returned to his father's house, so you call us each day, each week, each month, each year to return to you. Help us to hear your call afresh and to respond by giving you our hearts and our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Creator God, so huge that we cannot imagine your greatness, we worship you for the splendor of all that you have made. The beauties of your world, so obvious to us here on the Clyde Coast, remind us that you are as infinite in your inventiveness as you are limitless in your love. We praise you. Redeeming God who came to us in selfless grace, we praise you for your life on earth which showed us your love and for your death on the cross which brought us back where we belong. Liberating and inspiring God, thank you for the joy that comes with forgiveness, for the freedom of being released from shame, for rolling away the stone of guilt from our lives. We come with confidence to confess our sins in the hope of having a healthy rather than a false humility. We confess the things that we've done and the things that we have left undone. All the things that have hurt you and other people and the planet. Forgive the guilt of our sin. Be our hiding place and preserve us from trouble. Surround us with your deliverance. This we pray in Jesus' name. And in his words, we pray together and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now we turn to our readings from the Bible, and they're going to be read for us by Billy. The first reading this morning is from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, reading from verses 9 to 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed from you the disgrace of being slaves in Egypt. That is why the place was named Gilgal, the name it still has. While the Israelites were camping at Gilgal on the plain near Jericho, they observed Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The next day was the first time they ate food grown in Canaan, roasted grain and bread made without yeast. The manna stopped falling then, and the Israelites no longer had any. From that time on, they ate food grown in Canaan. The second reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 and then 11, b to 32. One day, when many tax collectors and other outcasts 
came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the property now. So the man divided his property between his two sons. After a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. Then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with the bean pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. At last he came to his senses and said, All my father's hired workers have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will get up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and started back to his father. He was still a long way from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with pity and he ran, threw his arms around his son and kissed him. Father, the son said, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father called to his servants, Hurry, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Then go and get the prized calf and kill it, and let us celebrate the feast. For this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. And so the feasting began. In the meantime, the older son was out in the field. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come back home, the servant answered, and your father has killed the prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. The older brother was so angry that he would not go into the house, so his father came out and begged him to come in. But he spoke back to his father, Look, all these years I have worked for you like a slave, and I have never disobeyed your orders. What have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes, and when he comes back home, you killed the prized calf for him. My son, the father answered, you are always here with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be happy, because your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. Amen. God bless you the reading of this holy word. I suppose I should make a confession before I start preaching. The confession being that 
This isn't a, a new sermon that I've prepared especially for Stevenson High. I prepared this sermon, I discovered from my notes, 24 years ago. So it's a bit like a new sermon to me too, because I never remember what I used to preach about. And it, it's from a series that I, I once made up, Making Sense of the Parables. So here we have a story of Jesus, an earthly story of the heavenly meaning, that aims to instruct the people who actually said to him, look at him, look at the kind of people he goes about with and make them think again about their attitudes. We had to celebrate, said the loving father. We had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost. But now he has been found. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Well, we usually call this story the prodigal son. And like so many things that we approach the Bible with, we come with a preconception that actually is a bit mistaken. It's as if Jesus was wanting us to be especially aware of the reckless, inconsiderate and spendthrift boy. So we call it the prodigal son. But in fact, what Jesus was doing was responding with a story to an accusation or a grumble. Chapter 15 begins, One day when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts, and sin of sins he defiles himself by even eating with them. Well, there follow three wee stories, but I'm concentrating on the loving Father. So here's a paraphrase of Jesus' answers to the grumble. Yes, I do knock about with these people and even eat with them, because God loves to welcome people who turn to him no matter how stupid or sinful or blameworthy they have been. Because God's whole purpose in sending Jesus was to recover lost people. And he doesn't just eat with them, he throws a party. So he tells a story. There's a father who loves his son so much that he gives them everything he has. And we often miss this detail in the story. What the father had was land and animals, presumably. And one son says to him, I can't wait for you to pop your clogs. Could you divide up the inheritance so that I can have a good time now? So he does. And in other words, the father gives up his right to what he owns because he loves his son so much. And one of them waits a few days for the sake of looking proper and then he sells off his part of the property and goes away with the money. There is a father who loves his son, there is a son who wants everything he can get and there is another son who grudges everybody anything. And somewhere in this story, surely, Jesus says, there's a bit of one of these people in each one of us. Surely we recognize ourselves. And when we see ourselves through Jesus' words, he intends us to reflect on our relationship, past or present, with God. 
Some of God's children get lost because they are at such a distance from the Father that they don't see how enormous his love is. Some children are so close to the Father that they forget what the enormous love means. So how do they come home to the Father to be in the right relationship? Well, I think that Jesus tells us about two roots. How some lost people come home is that the younger son spent everything he had as if there was no tomorrow, and he had to find a rough road home. Now the whole thing, the journey away to a distant land and back again, was like a journey that he had to go through to get some sense. He had to become aware of his desperate need, his desperate need, physical, emotional, and spiritual, before he came to his senses and back to the path where his father was waiting. His father wasn't just knocking about the farm. He was waiting. He was hoping. He was praying that the boy would come home. And of course, Jesus deliberately equated the father with God. This is the God, says Jesus, that I represent. This is why I'm here, welcoming lost people. And the three things I want you to notice here. At first is, Notice that God, God's love is a kind of love that allows us to make mistakes. Now, having been in an earlier life a teacher, I realize that there's a time when you, can, you should let children find out where their mistakes are. Not just tell them, that was wrong and here's how to do it right, but that was wrong. You can recognize that. How did you make that mistake? And this is the boy. God knows all the dangers we face, whether we take his way or go our own way. Whatever we decide to do, God doesn't stop us turning our back on him. He doesn't stop us turning our back on him or ignoring him or blaming him. I've just been reading for the last month through the book of Job. And Job doesn't, let, doesn't hold back when he lets rip about it's God's fault. Or even denying him. One of the challenges for Job was his wife says, deny God and just die. But Job refused to do it. And we often think, why does God not force the world to bow down before him? And the answer is because he allows us in his love to make mistakes. And also notice, God loves God's love reaches out to us. There is no place in the godlessness of this world, no shadowy corner of doubt, no dark valley of pain so far from God that at this moment he is not like the loving father in the story, looking out for our return, running toward us. I love that little detail in the story. When he was still afar off, his father saw him and came running. When he was still afar off, it wasn't as if he casually got up in the morning and looked out the window and said, no, nah, I don't see him, and got on with the rest of the day. He was always there looking, waiting, hoping, praying. In Psalm 130, the poet says this, I wait for the Lord more eagerly than watchmen wait for the dawn, than watchmen wait for the dawn. 
But the reverse is also true. God waits for us more eagerly than we can possibly imagine. And the third thing is that God's love accepts us as we are. People who recognize their lostness and repent know how we deserve to be treated. And so he goes on, you remember in my first prayer I talked about healthy humility. So he goes on and he comes back to his father and he has a wee speech made up, he's had long enough to do it. He comes back to his father and he says, I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. Not on your life, says God. You're my child, and I'm going to treat you like a hero returning from a hard campaign. And he rewards us with riches way beyond all notions of what we would see as justice. Just like in the Joshua reading, he removes the shame of our past slavery to sin. Come and have a party. Why does God forgive us? Because he loves us. Here's a wee quotation from a French theologian of a hundred years ago. He said, we pardon to the degree that we love. We pardon to the degree that we love. If that is true, then God must love us completely because he is ready to forgive us everything. Couldn't you just get to love a God like that? And then how other people who are lost find a way home. The experience of the older son was that because he had never faced the crisis of a desperate need, he was blind to the real character of his loving father. I wonder what he thought when his father divided up the property and let the younger son go off. He must have thought, what a chump. Why on earth did he do that? And he lived with that attitude. And he grumbled about it. He was blind to the real character of his loving father and he didn't realize what was freely available to him. In fact, it says he divided the property between his two sons so the older son also had the property that he could spend. And notice the same three things that we looked at before. God allows us all to make mistakes. Did you notice that the father's words to the older son contained no hint of anger? Maybe a wee bit of exasperation, maybe a wee bit of sadness, maybe a wee bit of disappointment. But his words are just as loving as they were to the younger son. The patient love of God extends to those in our Christian fellowship whom we find awkward, intolerant, or just stumbling blocks to sharing the good news of Jesus. And we're all misfit people. I love the title of that book I read about 30 years ago called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody's normal till you get to know them. God loves all these normal people who bumble about putting their feet in it, and that's including you and me. God's love allows us to make mistakes. God loves reaches out to us. Just as the father left his home and went to greet the younger son, so he left the party. He could have said, oh, well, he's an old grumble boots. Don't bother with him. He left the party to go and seek out his older son too. He was looking out for him. 
and he offered the same kind of party any time his older son wanted it. He said, of course you could have had a party. You just never asked. His heart was bubbling over with undeserved extravagance. God's love allows us to make mistakes, to reach out to us. God's love accepts us as we are. There's a wonderful irony in this dramatic little story. The repentant, son, younger son, the repentant younger son longed for a new relationship with his father and he was willing even to accept being a hired worker, coming back to work for the boss who was his father. Even if it meant being a servant, while the father had to plead with the son who was nearest to him, who'd been with him all that time, to accept his place at the feast. Come to the feast, you're just grumbling that I never gave you a feast. We're having a feast, come. But he didn't want to go. God doesn't stand on dignity or ceremony. He doesn't care how we get to him. His personal love for us is so great that he just wants us there anyhow. And that reminds us of a story which Jesus told of a king who invited people to his wedding feast. And dozens of them made excuses for not bothering to go. The king was exasperated in the end. He said to his servants, go out to the country roads and lanes and make people come in so that my house will be full. It won't be a party unless we've got a decent group of people here. Go and get them. I believe there is a German proverb which says, if God were not willing to forgive sin, heaven would be empty. I like that. If God were not willing to be willing to forgive sin, heaven would be empty. Well, this is the last part of a sermon, in case you were wondering. Of course, everyone knows how the story ended for the younger son with a party. But we don't know how the story ended for the older son. And so Jesus teasingly leaves us with this, did he go in? Or or did he stay in the huff? Did the father's love melt his pride? Or did it not? Another wee quotation. It is necessary to repent for years in order to efface a fault in the eyes of men. A single tear suffices with God. It is necessary to repent for years in order to efface a fault in the eyes of men. A single tear suffices with God. The message Jesus leaves with his morning audience is clear. How are you going to react to these outcasts coming into the fellowship of God's family? These outcasts that I even eat with. If we think like the older brother, like the Pharisees, we'll end up stinging with an uncomfortable challenge. If we think like the younger brother, we'll end up singing. Stinging or singing? Jesus once said, I tell you, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents. I I suppose on on Mothering 
Sunday Mother's Day, we think about a mother's love. And here's a lovely little story that I picked up years and years ago. It's about Paderewski, the great Polish pianist. A mother took her son, eight or nine years old, to a concert by Paderewski because she thought the child had some musical talent and might benefit from hearing a genius play. They sat close to the stage where the curtain was up, revealing a beautiful grand piano. Paderewski was in the wings. It wasn't quite time for him to begin the concert. The mother turned to speak to an acquaintance behind her, and as she did, the little boy wriggled out of his seat, ran up the steps to the stage, sat down at the piano, and began to play chopsticks with all his might. Maybe we should have an active demo. The mother was appalled. The audience gasped when Paderewski himself strode onto the stage. But instead of being angry, the maestro smiled, sat down on the piano bench with the little boy, whispered to him to continue playing chopsticks, and then, putting his arms around the little figure, began to improvise a soft but brilliant accompaniment to the childish music. He kept it up until the audience charmed and fascinated, rose to their feet and burst into applause. Jesus' parable surely means that when we finally come into God's presence and try to explain our lives with our faults and flaws, he will put his loving arms around us and turn our faltering notes into a triumphant song of redemption and fulfillment because he loves us. Amen. May God bless to us this preaching of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's interesting that our normal practice in worship until two years ago was to bring the offering to the communion table for a blessing. But now we don't see it. But we know that people give willingly and generously for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a generous God and you gave us your Son. And Jesus gave everything for us. And so, however our offering came together this morning, we dedicate to you. We pray that you will guide those who steward it so that it may indeed bring your love to the world. Loving God, this is a morning, this is a day when we remember the love of parents and especially of mothers. We give thanks for every member of our families who nurtured us while we were young and taught us and played with us and perhaps sometimes rebuked us and put us on the right path. We pray for all parents, wherever they may be, that they may be guided by your Spirit to be loving parents like the one in our story. 
Loving and eternal Father, we thank and praise you that you care for our world. And we ask that you listen to each of our prayers and that you answer them. Help us to listen for your answer, your voice, and to hear and heed what you say. Lord of the universe, the news can be difficult to listen to and to read these days. And when that news relates to faces we know and to voices familiar to us, it becomes all the harder to hear. Lord God, we ask you to hold the people of Ukraine deep in your heart. Protect them, we pray, from violence, from political gamesmanship, from being used and abused. Give, we pray, the nations of the world the courage and the wisdom to stand up for justice and the courage, too, to dare to care generously. Lord, in your mercy, take from us all the tendencies in us that seek to lord it over other people. Take from us those traits that see us pursuing our own needs and wants before the needs and wants of others. Teach us how to live in love, in dignity and respect, following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we and the church to which we belong may be eager to welcome refugees and show them the love that we already show for our own nearest and dearest. We bring them all before you now. And we pray for all their needs and all their hopes. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, be all glory and praise now and forever. Amen.
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon and remain with you and all whom you love this day and forevermore.